Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Amen. Now, I love that song, When I Stand Before Him Complete. Man, the fact that Jesus Christ makes us complete by His grace is good. It's good stuff. James chapter 5, we have made it to the last chapter. You're in shock. You don't even know how to respond to that. I love it. James chapter 5, we, are, we have been walking through this uh, really since August, taking a little break. But uh, if you're a guest with us, we like to just kind of walk through some scripture and uh, see what the Lord has for us in it. So we'll be in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Uh, a, a quick Google search will help you understand and realize how obsessed we are as Americans with wealth. Aren't we? If you look, you'll notice that some of the most popular shows on TV, whether that's through a streaming service like Netflix or something like that, are are reality shows that highlight the life of the rich and famous. You go back and you can look at uh, even the, the Housewives series, right? The Housewives of all these different cities that basically follows these, these ladies, these, these women who are um, you, you know, in really wealthy families and it's just kind of their social life. They just kind of follow them around and, and people watch this stuff, right? They, they love it. They, they can't get enough of it. One of the popular shows on right now is called Bling Empire, all right? Uh, Bling Empire, it's, it's again, we're just, we're, we're fascinated with watching. We can't stop watching wealth. Now, sometimes we watch it because we're just like in awe of what they have. Sometimes we watch it because it's just fun to laugh at, right? Uh, but sometimes we want to watch it because we want to realize that they have problems too. You know what I mean, Right? Like we, we, all, we all carry our problems, but we're fascinated with this. We're fascinated with wealth. Social media has done this to us. Uh, there's an article I found this week. It, it's called this. Appearing wealthy on social media has become its own industry. Think about this. We're, we're, we're young people are doing everything they can to appear wealthy online. The, 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 the subline for it is this, wannabes looking to flex on Instagram and TikTok. Now flex, that's, that's slang, all right, if you didn't know this. It's not literally flexing, all right? It's, it's, it's showing themselves to be wealthy when they're not, all right? They're flexing on Instagram and TikTok. They're using Photoshop and renting luxury goods to portray an image of themselves, in this article, there's literally a, a picture of a guy who's re- reclined a little bit with a book open with a green screen behind him. There's a picture of that, and the picture next to it is him sitting on a private jet. The idea is that he has photoshopped himself into a private jet to make it look like he is wealthy. And because of this, he's got a ton of followers online. This is the world we live in. We're obsessed with wealth. We all want more. If we could just have a little bit more. God has something he wants to teach us this morning. James chapter 5, James, what I would say, uses his strongest rebuke yet in these verses. In fact, I, I read these verses to someone, uh, two, two people this week, and both of them, their response was, that's in James? I said, yeah, it is. 
One person said, this one's going to hurt, isn't it? I said, I don't know. It's hurt me. So let's read it together. James chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. It says this. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's the part that they were like, that's in James? You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us in it and through it. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this, uh, this text, it doesn't offer a lot of hope, does it? It's just straight, I mean, like fire and brimstone, like lightning bolts coming down kind of judgment here, right? And it's interesting as we read this because it kind of makes us go, whoa, wait a second, right? It does that something to us. So notice what he says. He says, come now, you rich. This word come now is the same phrase he used back in chapter 4, verse 13. If you were here last week, I talked about that phrase. It's, it's a unique phrase in the Greek. And really what it's doing is it's drawing us in. He's saying, look at me in the eyes. I, I need you to not miss what I'm about to tell you. This is important. So he says, come now. And he says, you rich. Now, the question becomes, who is he talking about when he says, you rich? Now, specifically in this context, we read this, you see it uh, down in uh, verse four uh, there, the, the, the rich are landowners of the time, okay? And we clearly see that they're, they're, they're oppressing uh, the, the people that work for them. So these are the uber wealthy people. There are, there are a few people who owned all the land and everyone who worked for them was really subject to whatever it is that they wanted because it was, it was their world essentially, and so, so the, 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 the uber wealthy of this time is really what he's addressing. And what he's actually talking about, and this is important, because we notice this at the, the very end, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. What James is doing here, the scholars would, would agree that this shift of focus is, he's now, he's still talking to the Christian church, but he's addressing the unbeliever that is the wealthy here. And what he's doing is he's pulling it out and he's saying, those of you who are wealthy, who have no care, no concern for the things of God, who have rejected God and living for yourselves, you need to understand that judgment is coming for you. Notice what he says. You rich, right? He's got a point that he wants to make. He says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This is, this is judgment language. This, this is language that's really we only see in the Old Testament when the prophet is, is speaking condemnation from God upon a wicked, rebellious nation. In fact, if you look over in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, that word wail, it says, wail for the day of the Lord is near. In other words, the day of judgment is coming as destruction from the Almighty, it will come. This is the language in the Old Testament that James is borrowing here. He's kind of putting on that prophetic, that prophetic hat, that voice to say, judgment is coming for you. 
You need to be aware of this. You need to be woken up to this reality. And so James speaks this. We see this in, in several places throughout this text, and we'll see it again next week as we look verses 7 through the following. But it's interesting, right? James is speaking about the unbeliever, but he's telling the believer. And I, I find this interesting for, for several reasons. One, as I studied this and looked at this, really the whole book of James is starting to come alive a little bit more for me. If you go back to chapter 1, Right, so, so James is talking, and he's talking to the ones who are oppressed by the wealthy landowners, right? These are the Christians. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, and we started this whole thing, what did James say? Do you remember? Count it all, what? Joy when you face trials of many kind. Do you start to see the picture of chapter 5 of the context of what's happening for these believers? They are being oppressed. They are being... Um, taken advantage of by the wealthy. Talk about a trial. So what does James say? Count it all joy when you face these trials. And then he says in chapter 1, verse uh, 5, he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. I, I would say that in a trial like that, when my wages are being withheld, I need some wisdom on how to react, don't I? Ask God, he'll give generously. And if you keep going in verse 9, let the lowly brother, the Christian, the lowly Christian, the one who doesn't have much, who doesn't have anything, boast in his exaltation. And then he goes on to say, and the rich in his humiliation. We're seeing it come to life in chapter 5, aren't we? And so then, it, skip down a little bit, verse 12 of chapter 1, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. He remains steadfast. You see, what James is doing is say, let me, let me tell you, believer that's being oppressed, what's coming for the ones who are oppressing you. Walk faithfully. Continue on. I am the God of justice, and I will take care of them. You walk in faith, a faith that works. Do you see this? This is the picture of what he's saying. Now, as we think about this, right, we need to understand as well, though, that in this we need to take uh, an account of what's happening in our own hearts. I think another reason is James teaches this to the Christians is because he wants them to know that wealth isn't everything. In fact, there is some, some, some dangers that lurk behind our wealth, behind our riches. We need to understand that this judgment that's coming, we need to understand the seriousness of what James is saying here. See, I think there's, there's a part of me that when I read this, I was like, okay, good. He's talking to the unbeliever here. <laughs> I feel much better about myself. And that's where God says, hold on. You need to evaluate your own heart. Church, you understand that in our world that we live in today, we are the rich landowner. You understand this, right? I, I did some research, and I, I found out that the, the median income for a household in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, is 98000 and some odd change. It's wealthy. It's a lot of money. Now, some of you are like, man, I, I wish I had that. Fair. Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm doing much better than that. Let me, let me put this in perspective for you. There's a little website where you can go, and you can, you can type in a number, and you can find out how wealthy you are compared to the world that exists today. 
So I said, well, let's, let's not go with 98. Let's just, let's reduce that to, to 75,000. Median household income, $75,000. How wealthy am I? If you make that, you are wealthier than 95% of the world's population. In other words, you are in the top 5%. You understand that contextually across all people, we are a wealthy, wealthy people. And I think what James wants us to understand, what God wants us to understand is that what we do with our wealth matters. And how we live in light of the wealth that we have matters. Because it's a heart issue, isn't it? It's a heart issue. Arthur Simon, he's the founder of Bread for the World. It's an organization that, it's a Christian organization that, that is trying to fight in, in, uh, for, for hunger, world, world hunger, and, and, and coming alongside governments and, and, and countries to help uh, put an end to that. He, he wrote this. He said, an affluent culture turns our hearts towards fleeting satisfactions and away from God. And he goes on and he says, it is not that we have tried faith and found it wanting, but rather we have tried mammon or wealth and found it, listen, addictive. And as a result, find following Jesus inconvenient. This is powerful. You see, we've We've tasted wealth. And let's just be honest, church. We understand this, right? It is addictive. There's a sense in which we just want a little bit more. And if we can't have more, we want to at least portray that we have more. We, we desire it. And in that, perhaps we have to reinterpret some things in Scripture to make us feel better about ourselves in it. Because Jesus has some very strong words to say about it. So I want us to walk through this. I want us to look at what it is that these wealthy landowners, who are unbelievers, right? At least they've, they've turned against God and the things of God, what they're guilty of, and let's evaluate our own hearts and our own lives in it as well. So the first thing is this, they're, they're guilty of this. They're guilty of hoarding wealth. They're guilty of hoarding wealth. Wealth. Look at verse 2. He says, Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold, your silver, they have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you. So notice, he, he says, you've got riches, you've got garments, you've got gold and silver. These are really the three categories of, of wealth in that time period. It was possessions, land, right? It was the clothes that you had, the nice clothes, and it was gold and silver. And so what James is doing, he saying, you've got all of this. You have everything that you need. You have plenty. But he says that it is what? It has rotted. It is being eaten by moths. It has corroded. It's simply going to waste. They've, they've collected it. They've, they've brought it in. They, their storehouses are full. And it wastes. And it's really interesting, the, 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 the language in the Greek here, it, it's in the perfect tense. Now you're like, what is perfect tense? What does that matter? The perfect tense, right, it signifies a current state of condition, which means when he says that your riches have rotted, your garments have been moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, he's not saying it will happen. In other words, the clothes you're wearing, it's not they will be eaten by moths. He's saying they're in the current state of being eaten by moths. 
Your gold and silver, it's not that it will, it will decay, it's that it's in the current process of doing it. In other words, we walk around with all that we have thinking we've got all this, and yet it's just wasting away in the moment. And it's this picture of understanding that this life is temporary and all that we accumulate here on this earth is going to go away. The question becomes, what are we doing with it? We are a land of plenty. One of, the, one of the fastest growing things that are being built all across America are self-storage units. In fact, not far from where I live, there is a building that used to be a Walmart until we realized we needed super Walmarts. And so they built a new one. Well, that Walmart became a Sears wholesale because, listen, we just need to buy stuff at cheap, right? Because we need more. You know what that building is now? It is now a self-storage unit to put all the stuff you bought from the two stores that were there previously. (laughs) We love to accumulate. And what James is saying is you are guilty of hoarding this wealth. And notice what he says. He says that the gold and silver have corroded. You and I know that gold and silver don't corrode. You understand this, right? But the picture of what James is saying is it's, it's, the, it's the mirage. It's the very thing that we think will last forever is corroding. The thing that we hang our hat on, the, the wealth that we desire, it's corroding. It's going away. And so the charge is that this corrosion of all of the hoarded goods, what does it say? Will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is a strong word right here. In other words, what he's saying is your accumulated and wasted wealth that simply sat and corroded will be evidence of your complete disregard for God and the things of his kingdom. It will be in the court of law, if you will, the evidence that says your heart was far from God and the things of God. This is harsh. This is strong language that James is saying here. What is the charge against them? Verse, the end of verse three, you have laid up treasure in the last days. You've laid up treasure in the last days. In other words, when the end is coming, rather than using what I've given you for my good and for my kingdom and my glory, you have simply just hoarded it for your own self. The, the question becomes, where did, where did James get this from? He got it from his brother, who is Jesus. Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says this. Do not, what? Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Do you see the, the, the parallel here? And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. See, the hoarding of our wealth can reveal the condition and the direction of what our heart is aligned to. They were guilty of hoarding Wealth. Number two, they were guilty of withholding wages from people. They were guilty of withholding wages from people. James says, behold, look at this in verse four. And he goes on and he says that the laborers who mowed your fields, which you 
kept back by fraud are crying out against you. In other words, these landowners, they had people that would come and work in the fields. And these people, they would do their work, and rather than paying them their wage that was due them, they withheld it from them. They defrauded them. They withheld the wage from them. They're oppressing the people. And God cares deeply about this. There's actually a law spelled out in Deuteronomy chapter 16 that specifically speaks against this kind of thing. Deuteronomy 16 verse 45, or 49, excuse me. Behold, this was, excuse me, that is not the the right verse. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 14 and 15 says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. In other words, whether he is one of you or a foreigner who has come in, don't oppress them. What does he say instead? He says, um, he says, uh, sojourners who are in your land with the towns, verse 15, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, before it goes down. Why? For he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. In other words, they didn't have freezers and refrigerators and grocery stores and all the things that we have. And so they didn't go to the store, right? Sometimes we'll go, we'll go to the, the grocery store on the weekend and we'll, we'll buy a week's worth or more even if we go to a wholesale place and we'll store it up and we'll be able to put it in the freeze, freezer or fridge and, 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 and take it out and eat it. And we'll, we've got, you've got food in your house to go home and eat right now. These people didn't have that. So when they worked the land, they were dependent upon the the owner of that land giving them their wage in that moment so that they could take that, go buy some some grain, some food, so they could go home and feed their family that night. And James is saying, you have withheld the wage for them. In other words, you are taking full advantage of them to build and hoard your own wealth for your own desires. They were guilty of this. And verse 5 tells us that these wages are crying out. It's a symbolic picture. It's a word picture of the injustice taking place. In the Old Testament, when Cain killed Abel, the Bible says that the, the blood of Abel cried out to God on behalf of him. And so the wages that are being withheld, the injustice that's happening is crying out to God. And, and, and the very people who are being oppressed, the, the, the Christians, are crying out to God. And what's interesting is the way James writes this, if you look at the end of verse four, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Underline that, the Lord of hosts, because this isn't just the Lord, this is the Lord of hosts. And what that means, he is the Lord, he is the God of armies. It's a picture of the legions of angels who will fight for him. It is a God who fights for his people and who will not stand against the injustice of his people. People, church, you understand that God is a God of justice and we want him to be a God of justice because he stands for the broken, he stands for the oppressed, he stands for the poor. And because of that, he will fight for them and he will not put up with those that oppress them. And what James is saying is if you're walking and you're being oppressed, you need to know that I am the God of armies and I will fight for you. You keep walking in faithfulness. But for those of you who are oppressed, you need to know that I'm coming and you will not stand against me. This is what the scripture says. So these people, these wealthy landowners, they're guilty of oppressing these people. Church, listen, we may not be withholding wages, and if you are, you need to stop. 
We may not be guilty of withholding wages, but are we guilty of withholding our treasure to care for those in need around us? Listen to what Proverbs chapter three says. This is one of my favorite verses, and God's using this to just stir within me. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. That means that if God has richly blessed you, and there's an opportunity for you to meet a need, do it. Do it. He goes on, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I'll give it when, uh, when, when I have it, uh, excuse me, tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. In other words, use, the, use the, the resources that God's given you for good. So they were guilty of withholding wages. Number three, they were guilty of self-indulgence. Now this one, listen, this one hurts a little bit, doesn't it? They're guilty of self-indulgence. Similar to their hoarding, they indulged upon themselves. Look at verse five. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. And I, again, I find it fascinating that we live in a culture where people are faking luxury just to fit in. And this is what James is teaching us, what the Lord says about it. You're guilty of living in luxury and self-indulgence. In Ezekiel, we see an example of this. You guys remember in the Old Testament, there was Sodom and Gomorrah. And both of these countries, or both of these uh, nations, these, these people that, that God brought judgment down upon them in fiery fashion. Listen to what Ezekiel says they were guilty of. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Church, can we just be honest? We live in a land of excess food and prosperous ease. And let's just be honest, in that, a lot of pride. How do we walk in it? Where's our heart? Are we caring for the poor and needy? Or are we living in self-indulgence? James says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This is very graphic word picture and language that he's using here. He's talking again about the day of judgment. You picture the, 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 the calf that is, that is just eating, thinking life is great. Man, I've got this whole field all to myself. I can eat and eat and eat and then eat some more. And I just live in my life for the slaughterhouse. Church, you understand that there's coming a day of judgment. And that those who are outside of Christ, they're living their life, fattening themselves, as the language here he uses, for the day of slaughter. How do we wrap our minds around this? But we have to understand that these people are oppressing the very people of God and they're rebelling against God. And, and listen, it doesn't matter if we're wealthy or not. If we're unrepentant and prideful against God and we stand against him, the judgment that he's talking about is coming for us. 
This is the beauty and the power of the gospel, church. This is God's grace because we're all there and outside of the grace of God and repentant hearts and submissive hearts to God and, and, and trusting in him and his salvation. This is all what's coming. This is the beauty of God and that in his grace, he has saved us in Jesus Christ. We are a self-indulgent people, are we not? James is saying, be careful. Be careful. And then the fourth, they're guilty of this. They're guilty of murder. If you notice in verse six, it says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, we don't know exactly the context of what was happening, but there's a sense in which the landowners could do really whatever they wanted. If they wanted to bring charges against these lower than people that work for them, they could do that. Maybe some of them were, were, were tried and, and found guilty and, and killed. Maybe, maybe the murder that he's talking about is because they're withholding wages, they can't go and buy food, and in that they're starving. Maybe it's just that they hated the people so much that they used them and abused them to gain their own wealth that we are reminded of the words that Jesus says that if you hate a brother or sister, if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. There, there's a sense in which either way, there's a, there's a downlooking, there's, there's, there's oppression against people. And they were guilty of this. And it says, he does not resist you. Now there's, there's two interesting concepts with this. One is that they could... Uh, it, it could be that they did not resist the oppression because there was nothing they could do to resist it. But it also could be that as believers, they were walking in, in, in the way of the kingdom of God when Jesus said, turn your cheek. When they are walking steadfastly, when they face a trial and they count it all joy to walk in that trial and to walk faithfully in it, to say the Lord's gonna handle it, the Lord's got this, I'm gonna walk faithful, I'm gonna walk faithful. Either way, there's an oppression that's happening of the rich landowner against people. They did nothing to care and help the poor and the needy. Church, these are the four things that they were guilty of. What about us? You know, it's, it's interesting the guilt was not in having wealth. The guilt was the alignment of the heart with what they were doing with it. You understand this, right? Even in the Old Testament, some, some of the wealthiest people were Abraham and, and Job and some very faithful followers of God. Church, I'm not here to say that if you have wealth, you are bad or you are wrong. That is not it at all. Praise be to God that if he has blessed you and granted you great wealth, now use it for his kingdom. Align your hearts in submission to his will and his plan for his glory and care for those in need. This is what he's calling us to. We understand that there is an addiction within us that craves more and in that we become independent because of our wealth and in our independence we detach ourselves from dependence upon God. Listen, there, there's a sense, I was having a conversation this week with somebody, and we're talking about the, the richness of faith in poor countries across the world. We as wealthy people lack richness in our faith because we, listen, listen, church, let's just be honest. For the most part, you and I can wake up and live an entire day not dependent upon God. 
We have everything that we need to survive. But the person who wakes up and has nothing to survive understands what it means to walk by faith. They're rich in faith. And so in that, we have to work really hard to submit, to die to self and come under the lordship and submission of Jesus to say, and all that you've blessed me with, Lord, use it for your name and your glory. If we go back to the end of chapter four, your plans, not my plans. This is what God's called us to. Church, I'm going to wade into something here. I I know I'm I'm a year in and a couple of months as your pastor, so here I go, all right? I believe that God has given us the principle of the tithe because he understands the danger of the wealth of what it can do to our hearts. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what tithe is, it's essentially where we give the, the first tenth of what God has given us to him through the church. And we do that, and I think the reason that it's helpful for us is because if we can come under the principle and the commitment to say, God, Everything that I have is yours, so I'm going to give a tenth of it. Thank you for letting me keep 90 of it. I'm going to give it to you. And the posture of my heart is first to give away, submit to his lordship, and trust him with the rest. I think this is why he gives it to us, because he understands the danger of what wealth can do to us. And church, let me just say, this is, I mean, God's providence is so good in this. We didn't plan this at all. This Wednesday night, we are starting Financial Peace University. I didn't even realize when we planned starting this Wednesday that I was preaching that. I mean, it was already planned, but God saying, hey, let's preach on wealth. And then because we're all messed up in our riches and our treasure and our finances, right? Let's just be honest. We need peace in our finances to walk faithfully. Let's, let's put together a class and let's, let's walk in this. And so my encouragement to you is, listen, one of the, one of the fastest, uh, not fastest, one of the, uh, the greatest causes of, of broken marriages is finances, When there's not peace, if you will, in our finances, it leads to brokenness in marriages and relationships. Our our, our world and our culture is up to this in debt. And man, we're we're struggling in it. Listen, I get it. And there's no judgment here. There's simply, hey, we want to be a resource to come alongside and help you and your family and you walking through this. And so my encouragement to you is sign up for financial peace. There's a little cost involved. We're covering half the cost. If, if that's a hindrance to you, we will, we will make sure that you get it. We've already had someone say, I want, to, I want to sponsor five people to come to this class. So sign up for it. That, that, that's, my, that's my billboard. But as we walk in this, we have to ask the question, where's our heart in this? Now, let me, let me shift gears for a second. This is also what the Lord was teaching me as I was studying this this week. And this is, the, this is I've, I've been really, I, I could not sleep last night because I was so excited about this. God said, I want you to compare the rich landowner who had everything, who hoarded it for himself, who's self-indulgent, and who oppressed people. I want you to compare that person that I'm condemning with me. And all of a sudden, I start thinking about God, who is the owner of everything. You understand this, right? The one who speaks and it comes to life. The one who has storehouses ready to be poured out. The one who says, if you will oppress, then I will come and rescue my people. The one who owns the very land that the landowners thought that they owned. The one who makes the crop come up on the land that the landowners owned. 
the God who is full of wealth and riches. But here's the difference. Our God, he did not hoard it. He did not withhold the wages. He did not self-indulge in it. And he did not murder. Rather, he gave life through the sacrifice of his son. You understand this. This is powerful. See, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning this. Even though he was in heaven on his throne, king of kings and lord of lords over all, he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go of that and I'm gonna come and I'm gonna humble myself to the point of a servant and I'm gonna take on flesh and I'm gonna dwell among these people. And he goes on in Philippians 2 to say that he became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. You see the difference? Do you see the generosity of our God? Here in a second, we're gonna, we're gonna partake in the Lord's Supper. And as I started thinking about this and the generosity and the grace of God poured out compared to the rich landowner, I, started thinking about the the Last Supper. John 13, when Jesus pulls his disciples together. And it's his last time with them and before he goes to the cross, he knows what's coming. He, He came here for the specific purpose to die on the cross for our salvation. And he pulls them together to have the the Last Supper and and really partaking of Passover meal. And the picture of what Jesus does in John 13 relates so well to this. Jesus, the Son of God, who left his throne, riches of all riches, in that moment, in that room, he takes a basin of water, he takes a little cloth, and he gets down on his knees, and he starts wiping the mud and the dirt off of the people who were following him generous, not hoarding it, but literally pouring out his life for us. And he tells his disciples, if I, your teacher and the son of God, will get on my knees and I will wipe and wash the dirt off of your feet, you need to go and do likewise. The church, I don't know that James or Jesus specifically means tomorrow at work or at school or wherever you are that you need to bring a bucket of water with you and a, and a, and a sponge. But in light of what we just read in James, I do think he is saying, I have blessed you tremendously. Humble yourselves and use the blessings that I have given you to serve people, to care for people not holding it for your own glory and your own pleasure and your own passion, but rather for me. And I will bless and I will honor that. This is what God's called us to. The generosity of our God. Would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna just take a minute before we take communion.
I think it's good that we don't just rush into that, but rather that we just sit for a second and just reflect. What's, what's happening in your heart right now? What is the Spirit speaking to you? Are there some things that you just need to confess and that you need to repent? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and it's now time for you to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. You see, the judgment that James is talking about that's coming for the wealthy landowner is for anyone who does not repent. But God sent his judgment upon Jesus so it doesn't have to come upon you. But you turn and repent and ask Jesus to save you from your sin this morning. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, I've asked Cameron to come and just sing a portion of the song, Jesus Paid It All. And I just want us to reflect. If you just need to sit there and listen and thank the Lord and confess, and you do that. If you want to sing out, you sing out. But let's just take a minute and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. You know, Jesus washed your sins white as snow for those that have placed their faith in him. Before we partake, let me read from Isaiah 53. This is a powerful depiction. It's a prophecy, a prophecy of what Jesus was going to do, but listen to the language of how Jesus is described compared to what we've studied this morning. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us 
peace and with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Church, our wealth can lead us astray. He goes on, he says, we have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus suffered, was oppressed, and gave his life so that we don't have to. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. In that upper room, he, looking to the cross, scripture says that he took the bread. If you need one of these, just quickly raise your hand. We've got some ushers that can give you one if you didn't get one earlier. Jesus said that he took the bread and he said that this bread is symbolic of his body that was going to be broken for us as a sacrifice. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Scripture says in the same way he took the cup and he said this cup is a symbolic picture of my blood that will be shed for you. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this, but scripture is very clear that where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We are guilty, but it is his sacrifice that makes us clean. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Praise be to God for his generous sacrifice and gift of Jesus. Church, would you stand with me? We're gonna respond with this song, one of my favorites, it's called Cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of our life, amen? He's the cornerstone of all that we have, all that we do, submit and walk in his ways. I'll be down front. If there's a decision you need to make or just need to wanna pray with you, be happy to do that, but let's respond in song this morning. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.